This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand, heading into a long weekend. Hope you guys are excited for that. Looks like the weather, by and large, is going to be really good. Some hot days, getting ready for the summer. Finally feels like it, and I think we're all ready for that. Um, No show on Monday because of Memorial Day. I wouldn't want you guys inside listening to a podcast on that day anyway but we'll be back at it again on Tuesday next week getting down to everything that happened over the long weekend today Chris Hine joins me on the show Timberwolves beat writer for the Star Tribune going to talk about the Tim Connolly hire and what that means for the Wolves and some of their big decisions this off season so good conversation with Chris he helps me break that all down Got to get to the uh, the Minnesota Aurora opened up their season, their whole franchise essentially on Thursday night. A 1-1 draw, almost had a win, but gave up a goal late in that game to Green Bay. Um, yeah, talk about uh, talk a little bit more about not just Carl Anthony Towns, but some other players in this market who are due for big contracts and whether or not those will come to fruition or not. Some kind of nuances of those potential deals and we'll get to a tribute to golden state which is now back in the nba finals after some really lean years following you know what looked like the end of their dynasty and now they are back with essentially the same cast of characters plus a couple new ones including of course old friend andrew wiggins but first what did i miss gotta talk twins at the jump a bad loss on thursday and again one of 162 baseball these are going these kinds of games are going to happen <clears throat> you know you're going to give up a lead you're going to feel like you outplayed a team except for one little stretch you're going to lament missed chances twins had all of those things in Thursday's game a 3-2 loss against Kansas City um Devin Smeltzer pitched absolutely outstanding seven innings no runs just a couple of hits um, funny thing about that game is his wife told him to throw more change-ups down and away, and he took that into his game plan, took that into his start, and it absolutely worked for him. Um, but so he leaves the game with a two-nothing lead. The Royals get three runs off of Tyler Duffy in the eighth inning, string together a bunch of hits. He left a couple couple hittable pitches out over the plate. His ERA not great right now. And then the more frustrating thing, aside from that was, you know, after you've given up that lead, okay, looks like you're going to rally right away. You load the bases with nobody out in the bottom of the eighth and can't get <clears throat> even the tying run across. You had a couple strikeouts, um, you know, right at, right after that. And then um, I think Max Kepler grounded out to end that threat. And they put two on in the ninth and lose that one. Um, don't, don't get the run across there. So a 3-2 loss in that game. Just a, a frustrating kind of game. Rocco Baldelli probably summed it up best afterwards. Let's let him talk for a minute here. Yeah, we had a, we had a lot of different ways that we could have won uh, the ball game today. Um, and it, that, that's going to happen at times. There's, there's not a lot that uh, you're going to do about it. Um, of course, there's frustration, but you can't let the frustration... Uh, overwhelm you in any way. Um, we have another ball game tomorrow against these guys, and we've got to find a way to go and get the job done. We're putting ourselves in position to score runs and win win games right now. Um, we just we got to finish it off. And, and, and he's right. That was kind of the point I was trying to make at the beginning. Like there's something sometimes you just can't do anything about a game like this. It's just going to happen on 
you know, a long season, you're going to have a frustrating loss. That said, one, one stat kind of jumped out at me as we kind of think about how the Twins sit now at 27 and 18 and how they arrived at that record. So they are now 14 and 8 in one run or two run games. That's a very good mark. But started the year 0-4 in one run and two run games. And the next stretch of the season when they got really hot, when they were winning, you know, all of those games, when they, you know, after after that four and eight start, when they went to what, 23 and eight in their next 31 games, they went 14 and two in one run or two run games. And now they've dropped two in a row. Um, the, the, you know, the extra inning loss to Detroit the other day, that four, two loss, and then the three, two loss to Kansas city. So here's what that means. It means, you know, they, they, by and large, they've been very good in those close games this season. And sometimes that's a function of how you play, right? You, you've got a good pitching staff. The pitching's been very good this year. Baseball the runs are down across the board. So, you know, winning close, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that you, you know, got lucky or that something happened that you, you know, isn't sustainable. That said, a 14-2 and two stretch in one run and two run games, that was bound to change. So as we think about the Twins' fortunes going forward, we got to think about can they sustain that level in in those close games? And I, I don't know if they can. I think that you know a lot of times those things even out. You kind of regress to the mean in that case. I think the Twins do have a team built to win close games just because their pitching has been so good and their defense has by and large been good. But watch out for that because that that could kind of even out on them as the season goes along. It could drop their record. A little bit more and we saw that in his last two games so can they can they get that going a little bit and one, one thing that would obviously help is if they started hitting the ball better they've, they've scored two runs in each of their last three games that's not going to get it done in a lot of games now it could have that could have been enough offense especially on Thursday night with how Devin Smeltzer pitched if they had gotten better bullpen work but you know over the course of the season they're going to need to score more runs and one way they're going to need to score more runs is by getting a lot more out of Byron Buxton. I don't want to harp on this because we talked about it for a couple shows in a row now, but he finally broke out of his 0 for 30 skid. Um, he got a hit in the ninth inning, an infield hit in the ninth inning of last night's game. Got all the his, his you know they, he got erased on a uh, on a fielder's choice, but his you know his hit got. Got a runner to third base, but that that didn't score. But so he did contribute. Did could have started a rally in the ninth inning, but didn't. So good that he broke that streak. Maybe a hot streak will follow. But you know, zero for thirty. His his batting average dipped below the Mendoza line for a little bit. It's back up to two oh two right now. But you know, I kind of sarcastically tweeted during uh, during the game when he was down to one ninety eight. You know, I tweeted. Buxton now below the Mendoza line, 0 for his last 28, maybe not the best player in baseball, question mark. And, you know, listen, someone's in a slump like that right now. Obviously, their their numbers aren't going to look great. But I got a sarcastic kind of know-it-all tweet back at me about how, you know, baseball people this, baseball people that. Obviously, I'm not a baseball person. Like, ah, the smugness of the, the tweet. Like, listen, I... Because I'm in the media, I don't believe that I know more than everybody else or that I know more than you about baseball. Um, But I don't like when people comment me like they think they know more about everything in the world. That that kind of attitude bothers me. And so here's what I'll say about Buxton. Great player, great talent. Um, Everybody in this market, especially Twins fans, are wishing that he will become everything that he can become. 
and he has absolutely shown flashes of being one of the best players in the game when he's been healthy. But all this talk a few weeks ago about best player in baseball when he was going good, when he was, you know, when he was hitting and his OPS was up over a thousand and he's playing all world center field. Um, you know, he needs to sustain that for longer than he has ever sustained it. He needs to stay healthy and productive for longer than just a few weeks at a time to be into that conversation. You can say he's talented, you can say he's got the potential to be that, but you cannot put him in that conversation until he is more consistently healthy and productive. Otherwise, it is an insult to a guy like Mike Trout, who from 2012 to 2019 averaged 145 games played. I know he had some injury problems in 2021. Obviously, 2020 was shortened from COVID. He played most of those games. It's an insult to a guy like Shohei Atani, who pitches and hits at a very high level. It's an insult to any number of other players who have produced at a high level consistently and been on the field consistently. Byron Buxton absolutely is one of the biggest talents in baseball. If you want to make that point, that's fine. But is he one of the best players in baseball? Not until he becomes more consistent with both his health and his production. And again, 0 for 30, that will progress to the mean. He's not going to hit 202 this year, even if batting average is not the end-all, be-all stat. I believe his OPS is down under 800 now. That is also you know, not where he wants it. So it will progress to the mean. He will, he will have a better stretch coming up here. He needs to do it a lot more and a lot more consistently before I put him in that conversation. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Happy to be joined today by Chris Hine, who's been on Daily Delivery so many times. I have lost count. I need to get you a new patch uh, for your jacket, Chris Hine, because it's way more than five timers club. It's probably closer to 25 timers club at this point. But uh, welcome. I wanted to, to chat with you about the, the big Wolves news of the week, which is that they have hired a new president of basketball operations, Tim Connolly. Um, Coming from Denver, he's got a pretty good track record there. Drafted Nikola Jokic in the second round. I'd say that qualifies as an awfully shrewd decision. The Nuggets have been a playoff team four years in a row and have been a contender. But it's an interesting move, Chris, just because they had a certain kind of dynamic going here. And this, you know, bringing in somebody so established definitely is a splashy move that will change things a little bit. From from your perspective, what did you what did you make of this pursuit and ultimately landing, uh, landing this uh, this new hire? Yeah, I think this fits the the mo of what Mark Lori and Alex Rodriguez have said they wanted to do since they became part of the ownership group last summer, which is to you know no matter the the obstacle, whether it be financial or otherwise, that they want to get the best people to be a part of this organization, the best people possible. Um, and, you know, despite, I think, maybe some some doubt out there in the NBA world that they would be able to pull something like this off, um, they went and got one of the guys that they were targeting in Tim Connolly. Uh, you know, like you said, proven track record, uh, especially through the draft of, of building that Denver team into the, the perennial playoff team that it has been the last few years. Um, and yeah, I think, I think it fits kind of the MO of what the, of what new ownership wants to do, Glenn Taylor, and he kind of empowered them to, to go ahead and, you know, spare no expense 
to get it done, even though he's still the controlling owner and has to has to pay most of the the money here for the next year and a half. Um, he was on board with everything, and and you know across the organization they they went and got it done. Now, when you talk about sparing no expense, the reported contract is five years, forty million dollars, which for Timberwolves historians uh, will make you shudder because that was the exact contract that Tom Thibodeau got, and that didn't work out so great. Um, but that's a different era, different story, different time. But it, it does show you how what the kind of the cost of doing business in this case, which was you know luring someone away from a franchise he had helped build uh, build into a contender and, and a place that he liked. It, it kind of seems like it ultimately came down to an offer that was too good to refuse. Yeah. And the other part of that is the, the ownership state, which could yeah. really boost the value of, of that contract. So it's five years, $40 million at its base, plus kind of this, this lottery ticket essentially that, uh, that you could cash in uh, whenever you might like in the future. Um, so very lucrative deal. Uh, Denver from, from all accounts tried to make an offer, but they they were not willing to kind of match what the wolves were offering. And yeah, this is, uh, this is a pivotal time for the franchise coming up here. You know, we, there's, there's some decisions to be made this summer. Um, we've got Carl Anthony Towns, who's now eligible to receive a super max extension which could pay him upwards of $210 million in that ballpark. Um, you've got D'Angelo Russell, who's been aiming for an extension as he enters the final year of his deal. You've got a draft with four draft picks. So the, the honeymoon phase is going to be very short <laughs> here for Tim Connolly because there's going to be some big decisions that, that he's going to have to make in the next month and a half or two months here as he – gets acquainted with his new uh his new digs yeah i was going to say i mean those are the, the two you mentioned the the town's potential supermax which you know when he was named third team all nba not a surprise that he got that distinction earlier this week but that pushed him into that territory where he is now eligible for like you said the 211 million dollar four-year contract which is just ridiculous crazy monopoly money but that is the cost of doing business in the NBA these 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 days when you have star players, I mean, it would be nice if it was, you know, a guy who had been multiple first time All NBA player as opposed to you know what what Towns has accomplished. But nonetheless, he's proven himself to be one of the fifteen or twenty best players in the league. Is there anything in Connolly's history that that suggests anything that he might do when it comes to? I mean, the Towns thing seems like it's more a matter of getting him to sign it and making sure you're offering it. The Russell thing is another question in terms of his value and, and what they want to do. There's anything that he did in Denver that makes you think he might think of things one way or the other. Uh, hard to tell. I, and I, to be honest, I haven't really dug in that far into any kind of similar moves, but I, th- I think, you know, when he, when Connolly meets with the media next week, it'll just be interesting to, to hear his just philosophy going forward of how he wants to build this team. You know, I, I, and what I mean by that is when Gerson Roses took over, Gerson Roses was very adamant that this was Carl Anthony Towns' team and they have to build around Carl. Like, what does Tim Connolly view Towns as? Does he view Towns as the 1A 
in a, in a potential contender the way Jokic is in Denver? Or does he view Towns maybe as kind of that 1B star? You know, those kind of players are still worth a max contract or even a super max contract. But who is kind of the, the 1A in that equation? Is it Carl Anthony Towns or is it potentially somebody else? Is that somebody else potentially Anthony Edwards in a few years? You know, kind of how does he view uh, just the, the 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 macro kind of questions of building this roster moving forward? I think are going to be the the most interesting things that that uh, we'll have to say next week when we get a chance to ask him some questions. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to get to his draft track record in a minute, which is quite good. But I also wanted to you know just talk a little bit about culture. It sounds like he's built a good culture in Denver. That's been a big word uh, in Minnesota too, when things have gone right, it's kind of been establishing this positive culture here. That said, anytime you bring in a fresh set of eyes, there's potential for disruption. How do you think he fits into kind of what they've already got going here versus how much will he, you know, bring in a, bring in a completely different way of doing things. Would you imagine without knowing exactly what his mission vision statement is yet? Yeah, we'll, we'll see how this plays out. I think one of the things that you saw this last season was just how much harmony there was between, you know, the front office, which was led by uh, Sachin Gupta um, in, the, in the wake of Rosas' firing, uh, and the coaching staff with Chris Finch. Those two, you know, spoke so highly of working together in the, in the kind of uh, alignment, quote unquote, which is a word they love to use, a very businessy buzzword alignment uh, that they had between front office and coaching staff. That they you hadn't really seen that much in uh, Timberwolves recent Timberwolves history. So they they had it last year, and now they're going out and, and adding you know a, a big fish into the mix. So we'll see kind of what it does to to everybody else in the organization, you know, does it's, it seems as if uh, Sachin is going to stay stick around uh, based on kind of what they said in the press release the other day, that Connolly will work closely with, with Sachin. Uh, Finch obviously is signed for the next four years. They have, uh, he and Connolly have a, a working relationship based back to when Finch was an assistant in Denver. So there's familiarity there, obviously. So I, We'll see. You know, this is this is what's going to have to happen. Uh, you know, just because you can build a culture in one place doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to automatically happen in another place. And we'll see kind of how he chooses to work with the existing staff that's here and what kind of people he's going to want to bring in of his own. Yeah, and speaking, I mean, that you, I'm glad you brought up Finch because he did just sign that extension, and that was something that Gupta was empowered to do. But it is unusual. Uh, maybe not maybe unusual is the wrong word, but it, it is, you know, a, a little bit backwards sometimes for a president of basketball operations to come in and already have a coach pre-existing here. And now, like you said, it does help that they have a relationship from working together in Denver, but that was, you know, several years ago when Finch was an assistant, probably just for, well, it was it one season. So that's, that, that piece of it's interesting to me, not that he would want to replace Chris Finch. I think Chris Finch has done a very good job here, but that piece of it does kind of bear watching going forward. Like, you know, I'm sure he's got his guys and I don't know if Chris Finch was just one of one of his guys, or if that's, you know, something where he'd, you know, look two, three down the two, three years down the road to, uh, to, to somebody else that he 
because has kind of flagged as someone else he would like to see as a head coach. And that's yeah, and I think that's a good that's a good way of putting it. Is that it just bears watching as we as we move forward through a season and and potentially two seasons. You know, how do they how do they get along? How do they coexist? Uh, you know, especially with maybe the way Connolly wants to play. Um, I think it's going to be similar to the way that that Finch and, and Sachin kind of had them going here over the last year, but you never know. Um, you know, Finch and Sachin collaborated on, you know, personnel decisions uh, throughout the season. You know, how much collaboration is there going to be with, with Tim Connolly and, and the rest of the, the coaching staff in front office? We'll see. Um, so, you know, just a lot of things that, that have to shake out. And like you say, Bears, not that it's going to be good or bad. You know, we can't predict that. It's just these things just take time to play out and we'll see how they play out. Yeah. A couple more things for you, Chris Hine. Um, one is the draft. Like I said, I mean, he drafted Nikola Jokic, uh, you know, 41st overall. That was one of the first drafts he ran, I believe back in 2014, got Jamal Murray a couple of years later. I think that was number seven in the draft. got Michael Porter jr. Um, a guy that, you know, when healthy has been very good for them. He's gotten good value you know, late first round and even into the second round with, with some of the players that have been in the rotation drafted Malik Beasley, uh, who we all, who we all know. And, and I would consider that to be a pretty good value at number 19 based on what he's done in this league. It feels like the draft, you know, even, even though, you know, going forward, this team has some of its core in place. I feel like the draft is going to continue to be very important just for building out supplementary pieces and maybe even hitting on, kind of another one of those difference makers. And that, that has to be, that had to be a big piece of this, that he has a track record in, you know, not just hitting on a first overall pick like the wolves had done with cat and Anthony Edwards, but finding some of that later round value to, to bolster your roster. hundred percent. And when you think of how you have to build a team in Minnesota, just traditionally speaking with either it's, it's trading or draft picks because you don't really attract a lot of big name free agents. That's the kind of GM slash president that you need here. Somebody who, who can build through a draft. Uh, like I said, you know, making trades, that was, that was Gerson Rosas's way of trying to build the roster was a combo of the draft and trades. Um, and so, you know, we'll see what they do with this first round pick this year. Do they use it as, as potential trade bait, you know, to try and get maybe a more established player, especially in the front court. Um, or does, you know, Tim Connolly with his track record say, you know what, we're going to keep it. We're going to try to, uh, try to bolster the roster that way, going, especially going forward, have somebody who's on a, on a reasonable contract who they think they can develop into a contributor. Um, they also have three second round picks. So they have, you know, maybe a little ammunition to, to move, move around the draft board as well. Um, if they, if they find any takers. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. They've, they've got a lot of options uh, ahead of the draft. And, and like you said, his track record of the draft, especially in a place like Minnesota, where that's generally how you have to build a team, uh, is probably one, the most encouraging thing about this hire. Final thing, just kind of circling back on the two big questions he has, which is, you know, the, the town's supermax and the Russell potential extension or whatever they're going to do with him with one year left on his contract. Now I had, um, I had Malika Andrews on earlier um, 
uh, maybe a week or two ago on this podcast, where she was kind of talking about both those players and kind of the context of what Towns has meant to the franchise and his relationship with D'Angelo Russell. And, you know, I just wonder in the back of my mind if the, the, the Russell thing, you can't just treat it in a vacuum, can't just make a basketball decision on D'Angelo Russell because in the back of your mind you have to think, what will that mean to Carl Anthony Towns and his willingness to stay here? Do you see those two things as related or unrelated? Um, I, I used to think maybe that was related, but I think at the end of the day, this is, uh, this is a business, and I think everybody involved recognizes this, um, whatever the personal relationships are. Um, so I, I think that that's probably going to take precedent over any kind of relationship or anything like that, 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 that Towns and Russell may have, uh, you know, we'll see again, this is going to be an interesting summer for those reasons. Um, and we'll see what Russell's looking for. You know, is he looking for, uh, a number where he's making money now, or is he looking for a substantial pay increase? Uh, look, he's a, he's a starting point guard in the NBA. And, you know, I, those kind of players do not come cheaply. Um, you know, so I don't know what kind of number he's going to be looking for this summer. Do the wolves have him in their long-term plans? You know, Chris Finch, Sachin Gupta said all the right things at the end of the season. When they spoke a day after, Russell couldn't play in the fourth quarter of an elimination game. Um, so this is one of the biggest questions that Tim Connelly is going to have uh, to answer very quickly in, into his Wolves tenure here. Indeed it is. Chris Hine, go get some rest, maybe a little bit of relaxation. Hope you have a better night than our friend Jimmy Butler did on Wednesday <laughs> when he was four for 18 and his team only scored 80 points, putting them on the brink of elimination. That's right, Mike. Thanks. Appreciate it. Good conversation with Chris. Now, I wrote about the decisions coming on Carl Anthony Towns, Kevin Fiala, and eventually Justin Jefferson um, wrote a blog post on that on Thursday. The Towns one is fascinating just because you're kind of, you know, you're in this spot where you're a franchise that kind of needs those star players to stay. But man, that Supermax is such a big number, and he got to it, you know, <clears throat> by being all NBA this year, by being third team. Four years, $211 million is such a big number. It, I know it's, it's like monopoly money in this league right now with the way the TV contracts work, the way these things are structured. Um, it's kind of ridiculous that it's tied to all NBA, by the way. I hate that. I hate that facet of it because it's tied to, you know, voting from the media can influence millions, tens of millions of dollars on a contract. But that's neither here nor there. Carl Anthony Towns is worth a big contract, but the way these contracts are structured and you kind of take the, 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 take the negotiations out of it and just make everybody in this same pool based on their qualifications, that puts him in the same category, you know, contract-wise as, you know, some of the truly elite MVP-level players in this league. So the Wolves are going to be in this spot where they almost certainly will want to, will have to offer the Supermax to Carl Anthony Towns. If he wants the money, he will take it, but can you win with Carl Anthony Towns making upwards of $50 million a season on your salary cap? That is going to be the question going forward. So that one is fascinating to me. 
The Kevin Fiala one I wrote about is interesting just because of his restricted free agency status and the way and where the Wild are on their salary cap. That one feels like it's headed for a trade more than anything. And the Justin Jefferson one, he will be extension eligible after this season. That's going to happen sooner than you think. And with the way wide receivers are getting paid right now this offseason, he is going to break the bank wide open. Imagine if he has the season everybody thinks he's going to have this year in Kevin O'Connell's offense, if he you know exceeds what he's done in 2020 and 2021, which is already a lot, kind of a historic pace for a rookie wide receiver, for a second-year wide receiver, if he has even more production this year, uh, look out, because that could be one of those kind of you know market changing deals for a wide receiver and that's going to stress the viking salary cap as well although should mention that that could come at a time when maybe they aren't paying kirk cousins quite the same or not paying quite the amount on their quarterback for their quarterback on the salary cap as they are right now so those are things i'm watching going for those three contracts Let's finish with the cooler. A couple things I want to get to uh, quick. Minnesota Aurora opened their first ever season, a 1-1 draw at home with Green Bay on Thursday night. The result was not you know, not the only thing that mattered, not even the most significant thing. More than 5,000 fans in attendance at TCO Performance Center. They wish they would have seen a win, almost got that, but Green Bay rallied late to tie that game, earned a 1-1 draw. But the bigger thing is, this, the energy behind this team. We had Andrea Yock on the show on Thursday, president and co-founder of this team. Just a lot of really good energy around this team and maybe some bigger and better things to come for women's soccer. And like she said, if you want to go to a game, uh, get your tickets fast because I think they're like 80% sold out for the season already and they had to cap their season tickets. So that is a pretty impressive thing for a brand new team. Golden State back in the NBA finals. You know, if you thought they were gone after that kind of dynasty run with, you know, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, you had Steph Hurt for a while, Klay Thompson two years out, Draymond in and out of the lineup. You know, Kevin Durant obviously leaves in free agency at a certain point. They're back. They're in the NBA finals, finished off Dallas four games to one, a classic gentleman's sweep in that series, by the way, whereby you let the team get one game and then finish it off at home. But good for them. Good for them. You know, you can say what you want about Golden State. You might not love them. You might not love that Andrew Wiggins, who, you know, the Wolves couldn't get the most out of, is having a very nice season for them and is a key piece in their championship run. But guess what? I like a lot about what Golden State does. I love Steve Kerr as a coach. I love Steve Kerr as a person. I like a lot of the personalities on that team. So good for the dubs. We'll see if they can finish it off, uh, finish off this championship run when they get a chance in the finals. That will do it for today. That will do it for the week. That'll do it for the next few days. Hope you guys all have an excellent weekend. Enjoy the sunshine. Enjoy some time off. And we'll be back at it again on Tuesday.